If you would, this morning on this Transfiguration Sunday, turn with me to another account of the Transfiguration. We've already read one this morning in our responsive readings. This one comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. And so if you don't have a Bible, you can grab uh, an ESV copy right there uh, under your seat or the seat in front of you there. Or somewhere on your row should be one. And uh, we'll look at the Word of God together. All three of what we call the synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic because they are similar uh, in organization and content. John being the different one, the fourth Gospel as we call it. Uh, All three of these synoptic Gospels have this story. Now, that's not always significant. I mean, that, you know, it is interesting to do a synoptic study, by the way, and see what's missing and what's different. It's, it's fascinating. And there are some resources out there if you would like to do that sometime that I can direct you toward. But the best is just picking up your Bible and reading the different accounts. Uh, nonetheless, all three mention this uh, wonderful event in the life of Jesus... And ultimately, that is reported by three of his closest disciples. We have a depiction, by the way, on the front of our bulletin here. Of This is actually from the, from the uh, 11th century. So this is super old uh, artwork of the transfiguration of Christ being celebrated, which is, which is a feast day uh, for the church abroad. And so... So on this Transfiguration Sunday, we're going to look at the account from Matthew as we've already spoken the account from uh, Luke. Is that right? Yes, Luke. Uh, Let's read here along with each other um, and, and know this beforehand. On all of the accounts, they're all the same in this sense. They're not all the same verbatim, but they're all the same in this sense. That Peter makes that great confession he makes. You remember? Jesus says... Who do people say that I am? Oh, some people say you are Elijah, come back to life. Some people say you're John the Baptist, come back to life. By the way, it would be interesting to, to take some time to study what those two have in common, because they have quite a bit. Some say you are Jeremiah, come back to life, interestingly. That's even a more fascinating study. Jesus turns to him then and says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter gets it right. <laughs> Peter gets a lot of things wrong, you know. I mean, if you, if you follow Peter's life, he, he's like me. He gets a lot of things wrong. He likes to speak up and he likes to, you know, have things right. But he gets it wrong. He's going to get it wrong in our story today. But that's all right. God is very gracious to him like he is to me and you. And Peter says this. He says, look, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Wow. That's a statement. This is a man standing before him. And he says this. Right after this, then Jesus predicts his death and his resurrection. They don't get it. You wouldn't have got it either. I still don't get it. And then we get this story. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. A note of comment here, what Matthew's been doing in his gospel so far is showing that Jesus is the new Moses. 
So if you look at the book of Matthew, that's one of the things Matthew is doing in organizing his material. All the gospel writers have a way of organizing their material. They each have some specific things they're trying to get across in the text. One of the things Matthew is trying to get across as he is the first of the gospels here that we uh, have in our Bibles is that Jesus, he is the Messiah, yes. He's the son of David, yes. He's the son of man and he's the son of God and he's the new Moses. This is why in Matthew's gospel we get the Beatitudes where he ascends a mountain and then the law is given, if you will. Now the Beatitudes are given. You see this, and we could just... We could spend 20 minutes on the similarities. But when you're reading through Matthew, you'll notice, and a Jew would have noticed immediately the similarities that are happening because they knew their Bible. And this, again, is this, whoa, hang on, he's, he's going up on a, on a high mountain? That happens, doesn't it, in the Old Testament? Now watch this. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But... Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And disciples asked him, Then why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. May your word be quick, living, powerful, a sharp two-edged sword to all of our hearts. We pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In outline form here, we have a statement. We have, by Peter, we have a counting of the cost given by Jesus later. If you want to be my disciples then, if you want to be my disciples, you will do this. 
take up your cross, or deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. There's a choice made, then there's a great light like the sun, a cloud, a terrible cloud. Terrible in the King James is like all struck. The landscape is changed forever. History is shaped in one flash. Two lights that we can think of this morning on this day where we also in our own history remember the atomic bomb was dropped today, which was also done with a statement, accounting of the cost, a choice made, a great light, like the sun, from first eyewitness accounts, and then a cloud, a terrible cloud. The landscape changed forever. History shaped in one flash. Not a transfiguration, but a disfiguration of the landscape. And then... And then, in our text, a little boy comes, demon-possessed, who is healed. Interestingly, the bomb that was dropped was named Little Boy. There are fascinating similarities between two flashes of light, two instances in history, two transformations, and yet two very different outcomes. One is Jesus' flash of light. The other is evil. Not to say and get into political statements and judgments on a different generation, but rather to say killing, death, the war, all of this, it's evil. And we are called to love our enemies, and Jesus does in a way that doesn't destroy lives and disfigure, but rather transforms lives. It's the opposite of what we do as humans. We stop evil in certain ways, and we can talk later about the justification of that. But God stops evil in certain ways too. And His always transforms life. And He is, just just like looking into the sun, He is transfigured before them on this day. His face becomes like the sun. I don't know if you ever try to look into the sun, even with glasses. It's tough. You don't really see anything. And then his clothes even become white. One of the authors, one of the gospel writers says, more white than you could ever get it washed white. Jesus wants to do the same thing in our life. He wants to be a flash of light that changes the landscape. That literally transfigures our life makes the dark areas light, heals our brokenness. All three have this confession of Peter, and we too must make this confession. It's what it means to receive salvation, is to confess, be a confessor of Jesus. And it's not even just this one time, but every day we confess That He is the Christ. That He is God and not me. That He is God and not the rulers of the world. That His ways are better than our ways. And His path is the only one that leads to life. And all the good things He would have for us. We too 
must weigh the cost and count the cost of following Him because there is a cost. We just saying that... What are we saying about the resurrection? Receiving new life. But the only way to be resurrected is to die. The living can't be resurrected, nor do they need it. And this is Jesus' warning to us, isn't it, in the Gospels? There are many who don't need to be healed. Now, in reality, they do. And in reality, we do. But we are blind. We are deaf. Paul will even say we are really dead. Dead to the things of God. But it's actually a good place to be if you want to be resurrected. It's the only place. is to lay down your life to receive his life. The only way to be filled is to be emptied. And we must empty our life as a living sacrifice... To him. And this is exactly what, what Jesus is doing here in Matthew. He applauds Peter for the confession. And then as soon as Peter gets it right, Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer at the hands of others. And I'm going to die. He says, no, not going to happen. You see, I, you, you don't understand something, Jesus. I, I, you may not know it, but I conceal carry. Ain't happening. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. And he comes true with this, doesn't he, in lopping off the ear of the servant? And Jesus puts it right back on. Because it's not Jesus' way. I'm all about being national. I love our nation. I can justify quite a bit of stuff that our nation has done, including the only use of weapons of mass destruction. We can talk about the justification of that and maybe the negatives of that later. This is not the place for it. But here's what I know about the Bible. That's not God's way. And thanks be to God it's not because I'd be at the epicenter of that destruction because I was the enemy. In me at times I still find a line of the enemy that's at work, and I must lay it down. You see, even after you confess Jesus, you'll find as you go deeper with Him, there are lines of the enemy that run right through you. People often say, I wish God would just get rid of all the evil. What a nasty God to allow evil to remain. How is He good? In an evil, evil world? And it's a great question, truly. It's an honest question. It's one that doesn't have any easy answers. But God's answer to the problem of evil is not nuclear weapons or weapons of mass destruction. Weapons that disfigure, but rather love. Sounds weak. But doesn't the scripture tell us that he likes to use the weak to show up the strong? He does. And he used the love of Christ to defeat the enemy forever. 
If He were to erase evil, none of us would be here. Game's over. Everybody dies and goes straight where we deserve, which is hell. Thanks be to God that He's not pulled the plug completely on evil. He holds it back. Even in His own body, He takes it on. He doesn't sideswipe it or swerve, but rather heads straight directly to it and takes the full brunt of our anger, of our confusion, and He allows us to kill Him. We all participate. Just as we all participated in the first sin and the many sins that we have participated in. But then He takes that, dies conquers it and comes back to life with victory and he sends the spirit that's who we really need if you notice the way the song progressed just a moment ago it ends with the last stanza being about the spirit that's who we really need in us to dig out all of what sin and the enemy has in us This is why many times in the Psalms you'll find him opening up his heart to new things. As you get older, as you have kids, as you go through circumstances, things come to the surface. As the world shakes you, we spill out. The real us spills out. We're pretty good at keeping it all contained most of the time. Until we don't. Until life shakes us to the core and what comes out is the real us. And it's ugly. It's ugly in me. (laughs) But God's light, God's light shines in the darkest of places. Just like the light... Uh, in Lord of the Rings that was given, remember, to Samwise. Even in Shalob, that big spider. Now, who likes spiders? Nobody likes. Big old brown recluse I killed recently. Eesh. Big old spot shines in the darkness. The darkest places his light can shine and will shine if we'll turn to him. But we must turn to him if you want to be my disciple. You don't have to be. You can choose to go your own way. Many have. Many will. The broad way is one of many choosing not to live God's way. We must count the cost of being a disciple, of letting his light in, because he's not going to stop with just forgiving you of your past sins. I love, I love C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors. His book, Mere Christianity, has this great little... I wish I could come up with illustrations like this. I'm sorry that I don't. By the way, the preaching was excellent while I was gone. So uh, I'm, I'm glad I am still, still have a job. But nonetheless, um, it was very, very good. So uh, I'm sorry when mine's not very good. But, but, uh, but yeah, so he has, this, he has this line where he says, Lewis does in his book, Mere Christianity, he says... He says when you go to the doctor for, or sorry, the dentist for, um, because your tooth is hurting, right? 
All you really want is just some pain relief. I mean, that's really what you're looking for. You're not looking for a root canal or some god-awful thing like that. But instead, you're just simply looking for the pain to be relieved. And when we come to Jesus, we're, we're really just looking most of the time when we first come to him for the pain to cease in our life, the restlessness of our heart, to see the, the weight of sin that is upon us to go away. But like a good dentist, he's going to take care of the problem and not just the pain. And that means taking the tooth. And when we come to Jesus, we really need to know what it is he's asking for, and it's our whole life. It's not just a part of it. It's not just your head. It's not just your pocketbook, your money. It's not just your wife or your children. It's all of you. Even parts of you, when you surrender, even stuff that I don't know about yet. There's blind spots in all of our lives. Just like in a vehicle when you're driving. You know, we were driving in a Suburban that we had rented, and it was, it was new to me. It had a little bitty mirror. I never understood that. I have a big mirror in my truck. I mean, could you not put a big mirror on? I like my big mirror, you know? Little bitty mirror. A mirror I couldn't see out of the back. And, I mean, literally, a car would disappear. Disappear. wasn't even there. It looked like. Until I turned around and looked at it. It's that way in our life, isn't it? We have things that just we can't see. I can't see, but they're there. And they will come to the surface. The scriptures tells us in, in the wisdom literature, especially in Ecclesiastes, that he knows all the secret things. And it warns us that the secret things will be revealed. That, that's, by the way, that's not good news for any of us, I think. I love in our liturgy that we're going to do in just a moment for communion. It says this, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy. But did you catch that? It's almost a a wrong way to talk about an analogy. Cleanse the thoughts of our heart. Shouldn't you mean the thoughts of our head? But doesn't our heart have thoughts? Oh yeah. Your heart has desires and thoughts that filter out into your head. Because the idea in the Hebrew, and for a Jew, and what that's based on, really, is love the Lord your God with your heart. That doesn't mean the palpitating organ. It means the control center of who you are. That includes your personality, your soul, your body, your head, your will, mind. It includes it all, and it's wherever makes the final decision... Whoever's top dog, that's your heart. That needs to be cleansed. The thoughts, even, of our heart. Not just our actions. We come together, just clean up my actions so people think I'm a good person. God's after so much more than that. He wants to make you clean inside and out. And he can do that. That's the good news is he can wipe away the evil in us. Do you actually believe that? He can make us right. Not just by declaring like a judge declaring 
a robber free, and yet he still robs as his nature, but rather he can declare us free and inside of us make us free. That's the kind of power he secured in the resurrection. It's resurrection power. It's what we just sang about. It's what we declared in our creed. It's what we believe that he wants to do. And he wants to do it in me. And he wants to do it in you. And he must. He must. For without holiness, no one will see God. We're not bringing it up. You know what I mean? When we go meet him in the air or when we die and go up, we're not bringing all that junk up. It must go somewhere. It must be erased. It must be cleansed now. His glory descends in the text here. And really what we get is a very small picture of of his glory. So it's it's a fascinating thing, the incarnation. Jesus, the Son of God, second person of the Holy Trinity, becoming a human in flesh is God's glory. Hides it in flesh. It's hidden in flesh. And now these three guys, Peter, James, and John, they get a small glimpse of his glory and it blows them away. In one of the other gospel writers, they say they fell into a deep sleep. And you're like, what an idiot. Why'd they go to sleep in, in this it's a little more to it than that because if you remember, do you guys remember in Genesis 15, Abraham, and what we call, anybody ever heard the Shekinah glory of God? You've heard that, it's a crazy term, but it, there's this smoking fire pot that comes down and goes through the sacrifices. We can't talk about all the awesome stuff going on there, but when that happens, Abraham goes into a deep sleep as well. He can't look at it, in other words. It's too much to even look at and it's blind. It's like looking in the sun, you, you get blinded. You actually get blinded. I've looked into the sun, even though my dad told me not to when I was young. And I literally, when I looked at somebody else, there was nothing. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you see a bright light and you look at something else, there's just a darkness. There's nothing there. And they go into this deep sleep. He's revealing the fact that he is God. Remember what I told you about Matthew? Matthew's trying to show especially the Jews, he's trying to show, look, this is the new Moses. Moses was, was, a, was a type of Christ, a type of the Messiah. And now we have the archetype that makes all the other types work. This, this is why, again, I, I constantly bring up Lord of the Rings, Matrix, you know, these movies, Chronicles of Narnia, is because they are pointing toward the archetype. They're picking up on something awesome that is in Jesus. And that's exactly what Matthew's doing here. He's saying, look, we're going beyond Moses now, man. Now, we're way beyond Moses now. This is, this is the Shekinah glory of God. The glory that Abraham met. Your father's. Your father, Abraham. That's the God who is standing before you in the flesh and then he's, they see him talking to Moses. And they see him talking to Elijah. You remember what the, the Hebrews called their Bible, which was the Law and the Prophets. That's why Jesus says, you know, if you obey this, then you obey all the Law and the Prophets. What he means is the Bible. The Bible that they had at the time, at least. 
And now here's the law and the prophets. Elijah represents the prophets. Moses represents the law. Here's the Bible, the two, two key figures. By the way, both of them had interesting deaths too, didn't, didn't they? God basically has a funeral. He's like, all right, Moses, me and you're going to have your own funeral. So you're going to come up here and you're going to die. I'm going to bury you and I'm going to hide you from Satan. It's like this interesting thing. And then, of course, Elijah, before he dies, he throws his cloak on to Elisha. Elisha runs after him and says, oh, I think I know what this means. Is that right? He's, Let me go back. What he goes back, he was actually plowing a field. You may remember that he's plowing a field. He takes the 12 oxen. He kills them all. He uses the plow as a bonfire to roast everything. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm done with that life. I'm laying it all on the altar. I'm burning it all down. As I said three weeks ago, he's burning the boats. He's not going back. He never was planning to go back. And then the prophets tell Elisha, don't you know that your master is about to leave? He says, yeah, don't know how. And then all of a sudden there are chariots of fire. And then there are horses, it says, of fire. And the horses and the chariots swoop down and Elijah is standing next to them. And the whirlwind behind that takes them up. And he's gone. And now he's here talking with Jesus. And they're talking about Jesus' death. That'd be an interesting conversation to be a part of. We don't have that, but it's fun to think about. They see the brilliance of God. They worship him by falling on their face. This is why we bow our heads. If ever, anybody ever, you're like, why do we have to bow our heads? We don't have to. <laughs> you don't really have to do anything. But we do because when we're in the presence of the holy, especially the holy one, we bow. We bow our heads, bow our faces. Remember, Moses wanted to see God, didn't he? And God said, you can't look at my face or you'll die. I'll show you my back, but I can't show you my face. When he shows him his back, it's his nature. I wish we had time to look at it. It's a beautiful text. Exodus 33 and 34. Here, they get a small glimpse without dying of who God is in his brilliance. In his light. He's beyond Moses. He's beyond Elijah. He sums up all of the Bible. The Old Testament. The law the prophets. And then Peter, like most of us would do, he wants to say something. I mean, he's like, dude, this is awesome. I mean, that's basically what he says. I mean, that's my translation of what he says, but it's, that's essentially what he's, I mean, if we updated it to our land, he said, this is unbelievable. This is crazy. This is, he's like, just look at it real quick. Because I like the way that the ESV actually says it. Uh, He says, Lord, it is good that we are here. (laughs) Yeah, you think so, man? I mean, this is like a a once-in-a-lifetime event. This This is greater than a weapon of mass destruction going off. This is an explosion that's going to change the entire world. It's very good that we're here. And isn't it good to be in God's house? I think we ought to always say it's good to be here. No matter if, no matter what got us here or what our motivations were, it's good to be here. It's good to be in the house of God. 
Because God is here, that's why. Well, then he says this. He goes, look, we'll make it. I know what we can do. We can. He wants to do something. You ever notice how there, there are many of us who we think of Christianity, we think, okay, what do I need to do then? Just, just, tell me, just go ahead and tell me what we need to do. I'll, I'll do it. I'll check it off, okay, and we'll be done. You know, um, if only marriage was like that. If only kids were like that. If only you could get it done before 6.30 in the morning, I'd have it done. You know what I mean? I really would. I'd wake up early. It's super early. I don't care. If I get it done, I get it done. That's not the way relationships work, is it? And Peter's like, okay, okay, I, I got it, I got it. I think I know what we need to do. We need to build one tent for you and one tent for you and one tent for you. And, and man, we can just stay here because this is, this is amazing. And while he was speaking, he gets interrupted because the cloud moves in. Oh, man, could we talk about for 30 minutes the cloud throughout the Old Testament? We won't. Take a deep breath. And exhale. But it'd be awesome to do that. The cloud comes in and then a voice comes out of the cloud. Does that reminiscent of anywhere? Sinai, which we read, by the way. By the way, our lectionary readings all go with the transfiguration. You ought to go back and read them today. It also is reminiscent, isn't it, of the baptism? You remember? Cloud moves in, voice comes down, spirit descends like a dove. Beautiful. Here, very similar. And then notice what is said. Look at it. This, and now just imagine, here's Peter. He's talking, and mid-sentence, this comes out of a cloud. This is my beloved son. With whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's kind of what I feel like preaching often. Is I'm blah, 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 and then God just, boom, mid-sentence will, will speak something to your heart. That's the way it should work. Just whisper something that I'm not even saying. I'm just up here, blah, da, 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 and then Peter's doing the same. And then the voice comes. I pray that that happens because the Spirit wants to speak things that I don't even know about, that you don't even know about, that He wants to give to us. And He can, He does. I'm standing right here because He spoke to my heart many, many years ago. So I want you to do this. And that wasn't the last time. And it must not be the last time for us. It must be constant receiving and listening to the Spirit. Not grieving. Listening. And then this beautiful, I love the way the ESV translates it too. And when they lift it, so he goes over memory and touches them. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Man, if you underline in your Bible at all or circle or do something, I mean, Jesus only. Jesus only. Because Elijah, no. Moses, no. They're pointing to Jesus only. The voice, the Father, pointing to Jesus only. What does the Spirit come to do? Point to Jesus only. In our life, it must be Jesus only. We have so many lovers in our life. But there should be one love. 
one great love, Jesus. All the other loves pale in comparison to his love. We sang about how beautiful he was. One of the lines in the song spoke to me because it talked about the beauty of Jesus is better than anything in this world. But do we really believe that? Do I believe that? From day to day, do I really believe that Jesus' beauty is matchless? Why do, we, why do we stop short in trying to gather up things in this life, trying to take them with us? We're not going to. Let's look beyond just this life to the sun. This is Ecclesiastes' recommendation to us. Don't stop short. Don't stop with food and drink and houses and clothing. and th- that, That's all good and all that, but don't stop short. Keep looking beyond that. There's more than that. Jesus can calm our restless hearts. St. Augustine, famously again, our hearts are restless till they rest in thee. That's so true from my heart. Me. It's not a one-time thing, brothers and sisters. Trust me. Our hearts get restless quick. We lose interest quick. He has to calm us. And just as Peter, he's, all right, all right, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? No, 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 no. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. I'll do it, Peter. Not you. Listen to my son. Lastly, they didn't stay on the mountain, did they? They had to come down. They wanted to. Peter wanted to. And we want to. We want to stay in the church. All right, that's cool. All right, check. Got that done. All right, good deal. Now I'll just wait till next Sunday. And Jesus says, no. Soon as they get off the mountain, they meet problems. They meet a little boy who is healed. But he's demon-possessed. We can't just stay in, in this church, in this building. This isn't, even, this isn't even really a proper church building. At Harvest Point, we don't have a building of our own, and it's on purpose. Right now, we, like the Israelites, are kind of sort of moving around, worshiping wherever God puts us, and he's put us here. We're very thankful for that. But this place is not the church. You are. According to the scriptures, you are. I am. And if the church is going to do anything, it's got to be through us. And that's what he's going to use. That's who he's calling if we look at the phone, look at the word, look at his text message to us. It's what he's saying to all of us. We need his light, don't we? We need him to transform. I need him to transform me. There's still pockets where every once in a while they come to the surface and I don't like the way that looks. That's not good. We need his healing power, his resurrection power at work in our own hearts. Today there were two flashes that we remember. One of those flashes changes the world for good forever. Forever. And it can change 
your life. It's why we have red all over the sanctuary. It's why we have the flame that's still burning. Because the flame should be burning in us. The flame of love, the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Brothers and sisters, in love, receive His light. Receive His love. Receive the Spirit. Amen.